0: Hello, this is Pastor Don from the Atlantic Evangelical Free Church. I want to thank you for listening to our sermon podcast. If you'd like to find out more about our church, you can check us out on the web at atlanticfreechurch.com. In the meantime, I hope the sermon you're about to hear draws you closer to the Lord Jesus. Thanks for listening, and God bless you.
1: Hear the word of the Lord, Psalm 24, a psalm of David. The earth and does not swear deceitfully. We will receive a blessing from the Lord and the righteousness, he will receive, uh, receive blessing from the Lord and the righteousness from God of salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors. The king of glory may come in. Who is the King of Glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of Glory may come in. Who is the King of Glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of Glory.
0: Good morning. It's great to be together on this uh, holiday. Happy Fourth of July to all of you. Uh, We are going to be celebrating the Lord's table this morning, and so uh, hopefully you got one of these little cups when you came in. If you did not, uh, we will have somebody bring one to you when we get to that part of the service. And for those of you who are at home, we encourage you, or wherever you might be, maybe you're off at a cabin or something somewhere, I guess, on the holiday weekend. But wherever you may be, if you're worshiping with us today, we encourage you to um, find some crackers and some kind of juice or something and celebrate with us. And you could even go get those now as we uh, get into the sermon time. Uh, As Paul said before, Vacation Bible School was this week, and it was a great week. In fact, I wanted to ask uh, Pam Russell, where'd you go, Pam? There you are, Uh, to come on up and just give us a quick, just a couple of words of thanks and report she wanted to give. So here you go, Pam. Our children's ministry director, if you don't know.
2: (laughs) Um, If you help with uh, Vacation Bible School in any way, raise your hand. In any way. Okay. See, this is great. And if you were on site as a volunteer this week, stand up quickly. On site as a volunteer all week. Thank you. These people were there, and not maybe as exhausted as some of those over 30, but thank you. <laughs> um, uh, here are some fun facts. Um, the writer of the epic Bible Heroes, the, that's what we did for VBS, lives in Omaha, Um, one of the decorating team lives in Ankeny, the wedding dress used for Queen Esther's story came from Ohio, and the bear, such as what David had to, I'm sorry to use the word kill, but kill to protect his sheep, um, the bear once roamed in Montana. I think all of you wanted to know that. most of the kids who attended were visitors that's really cool um, not even from atlantic um, thank you for everyone who helped the- thank you to pam
0: thank you very much pam's position is a part-time position but i assure you it was not part-time in the last two or three weeks <laughs> <It> was- <laughs> yeah uh so let's pray and then we will get right into psalm 24 this morning which to my mind is a great song to look at on uh, on this day so let's pray Father, thank you so much for all that you are doing. Uh, we do thank you for just a great week this week with the kids, all the seeds that were sown, and the children who grew closer to Jesus and heard about Jesus for the first time. And some even we haven't gotten the feedback yet, but may and have come to know Christ. Uh, we just praise you for that. Uh, and Lord, as we come now to this passage, uh, we would ask you to open up our hearts and our minds to understand it. Uh, you have spoken to us in a timeless way here in these these ancient words. Uh, bring them. Uh, By your spirit, help us understand what you have for us here in this text. Help me to get out of the way so that together we can hear what you have for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, sometimes the best thing to do with a king is to get rid of him. Show him the door. And if you think about it, that was the point of the Declaration of Independence wasn't it? Right? If you think about it, I mean, it was time for King George to go. That's really what that document's about. I mean, we're all familiar with the opening words and those august kind of that preamble, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, and and it goes on from there for a little while. Uh, But if you keep reading that document, you find about a third of the way through, it starts focusing a lot of attention on a king. Uh, King George, in that case, Here's what you read. It says, the history of the present king. This is from the Declaration of Independence, July 4th, 1776. The history of the present king of Great Britain is a history of repeated injuries and usurpations, all having in direct object the establishment of an absolute tyranny over these states. He's a tyrant, they said. And then they made this long list of grievances, and some of them sound so strange to us now because it was a different time, but long list of all the things George in England was doing wrong, and and then they had these words at the end of the long list, they say, we declare these states are absolved from all allegiance to the British crown. Uh, There's the door, King George, don't let it hit you on the back on your way out. That's the Declaration of Independence, and, and that's the right thing to do with some kings, and that's why our country has a holiday today. Other kings, though, should be welcomed. I think we forget this sometimes as Americans, but other kings, and one king in most, uh, most particularly, should absolutely be welcomed, and that's the king we read about in Psalm 24. Psalm 24 is a call to worship. It's a summons to worship for God's people. That's how it was used in ancient Israel. And the, the way this particular psalm, there's a number of psalms that will do that, the way this psalm summons us to worship is it focuses in on the kingship of God, the Lord's kingship. Worship the Lord because he is the great king over his people. And, and you see that in the last part of the psalm, that last stanza, when David, the author, asks, who is the king of glory? And the answer comes back, the Lord is the king of glory. He's the king who dominates this whole psalm, and he's the one that we are to be welcoming. And so the point of the psalm is to urge God's people, and really the whole world, but God's people are the ones who are listening, uh, to urge us to welcome the king. And to do that, we need to prepare ourselves, which is actually where the the focus of the psalm goes. Uh, the, The lesson of Psalm 24 is that we need to prepare ourselves to welcome the king. And so what I want to do with you in the time we have this morning is I want to talk about how we do that, because that's what we get in Psalm 24. It shows us how to prepare ourselves to welcome the king. And there are three things in particular that I I want to tease out from this psalm that I want to show you. Three things Psalm 24 says we need to do to prepare ourselves to, to to, to, to welcome the king into our lives. And so that's our outline. So let's get into it. Number one, the first thing we need to do to welcome the king is that we need to recognize reality. There is a reality that we need to recognize because that's how Psalm 24 starts. It starts with a strong dose of reality. Uh, Verses 1 and 2, it says, uh, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The world and those who dwell therein, for he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Everything belongs to the Lord. That's verses one and two. The whole earth, everything in it, it all belongs to him. Uh, The physical parts, the continents, the oceans, the islands, the valleys, the mountains, the deserts, it all belongs to him. All right, we get all caught up in which nation controls this and which nation controls that. It all belongs to him, the psalmist says. Uh, but it's not just the physical features, the land masses and so on. It's the living things, too. Uh, the forests, the fish, the animals, the birds, the insects. That all belongs to the Lord as well. It says that. Everything therein. And it's not just the, the living creatures. It's the people, too. That's included as well in what those first two verses say. Uh, the, the world's people belong to the Lord. When it says the people, it's not just one group of people, like you know, the Jews or something like that. Uh, it's all the people. David says the world and all those who dwell therein. There's, there's no exceptions. It all belongs to the Lord. Uh, that's verse 1. What verse 2 gives you is an explanation of why. So why does everything belong to the Lord? How did, he, how did he come to have ownership of it? Well, he made it all that's what david says there's kind of a law of the universe you make it it's yours and so he says that founded he founded it upon the seas he established it upon the rivers and so everything belongs to the lord because the lord made everything uh, that that's what he says and so this is where preparation starts you know especially in this psalm, this is where preparing ourselves for the lord for the, to welcome the king begins it begins with recognizing who he is He's, he's not just some earthly king who's here for a while and gone. Uh, he, he's the all-powerful creator. That's the king we're talking about. There are some uh, implications of this in terms of, of uh, by way of application, uh, three of them that I'll, I'll just point out here. Uh, one that we, we talk about, maybe it wouldn't come to mind first, but I think it's important to remember, uh, is stewardship. A biblical understanding of stewardship. This wonderful planet we live on uh, is His, right? It doesn't belong to us. It belongs to God, uh, which means we have a responsibility to take care of the planet, right? And 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 you know everybody kind of likes to say that these days, but there's a biblical way to understand that. Uh, many times, they we'll talk about this sort of thing in terms of future generations. You know, take care of the planet, take care of the land, take care of the oceans uh, for, for, for our children and their children and their children. Uh, and it is true they'll benefit if we take care of it, but that actually shifts the focus to the wrong people. Uh, it's not the, the future that we're taking care of it for. It's the Lord, right? It's a stewardship issue when you think about it in terms of the Bible. We take care of, of the planet because the planet isn't ours, Right? If you lent me your car, I'm going to take extra special care because it's your car, it's not mine. And, and it's that sort of an idea. The earth is the Lord's, it's not ours. And so we take care of it. That's one implication of this. Uh, another one is humility. Right? And this one, now, you know, this is in terms of how we think about ourselves. Because what those first two verses do is they very much put us in our place. Uh, as it has been famously said, God is God and we are not. All right, he's the one who's made it all. He's the creator, and, and we're his creatures. And so, coming, to, coming into worship, there's a sense of what this is a, a worship, called a call worship, like I said. Uh, coming into worship is very much saying, Yeah, I'm, I'm you know, your creator, I'm creature. Let's get ourselves properly oriented here. And so, humility is another part of this. And then a third uh, implication of the verses 1 and 2 does have to do with praise. Right? It's another reason to praise. And so we praise him because of the cross. I mean, it all, I mean most of all, we praise God because of, of our salvation, because of who he is and what he's done for us. But then there's this other one that comes into play here, right? just praising him because of what he's made. And that's really what verses 1 and 2 are doing. They're inviting us to look around. Look at what God has made. Summer is perfect for that, right? This is the time of year when we can be outside more because it's, it's pleasant, it's warm. So go outside on one of those warm summer evenings and look up. Look at what he's made that's not an accident. He made it. Take a hike and and look at the trees. Look at a sunset. Look at the the fields and the hills that that we have around here. Look at the the thunderclouds and the lightning as it comes down and goes up again and all the amazing things it does. It's, It's just spectacular. And the Lord did it. The Lord made it all. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness therein. And so, uh, praise is a part of this, too. Welcome the king by praising him, because he's the one who's made everything. So that's, that's one part of this preparation that this psalm summarizes us, su- summons, us, summons us to. Uh, recognize the reality. He's God, we're not. He's the creator, we're the creatures. The second thing that we need to do to welcome the king, according to Psalm 24, is that we need to ready our hearts. We need to ready our hearts for the king. And this is what the middle verses are about. This is kind of the heart, I think, of this psalm, and no, one, no pun intended. Uh, but we need to ready our hearts here. And the idea is that this king that we've just met is so great and he's so awesome that his subjects have to be purified. That's what you get in verses 3 through 6. They have to be cleaned up before they can welcome him. Right? That's that's what's going on here in verses three through six. His people have to be be clean. They have to be cleaned up. See, verse 3 raises a question. Let's look at the text. This part especially will be helpful if you're looking at the text on your phone or a Bible. Uh, Verse 3 raises a question, and the question flows right out of verses 1 and 2. The question is: well, who can approach such an awesome king? Who can approach such an awesome king? And so he says, I know the earth is the Lord and everything therein. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? And so the Lord made everything, and the Lord owns everything. Therefore, you don't just waltz into his presence like you're going into Walmart. Right? It, it requires some preparation. You have to get ready to come into his presence. And so this question comes, who can, who, who, what does it take to be ready? Who can stand in his, his spot? Who can climb up his holy hill? Psalm 15 asks a very similar question. Who can ascend his holy hill? And the holy hill there uh, is, is the temple mount most um, in, most immediately in their minds because that's where the presence of the Lord dwelt. He dwelt in the tabernacle and then in the temple, which was on that, that high spot in Jerusalem. If you think before that, they may have thought of Mount Sinai as well. But either way, the idea is that the holy hill is where the Lord's presence is. And so it's not a hill per se. It's uh, it's where the Lord is. Who can, who, can, uh, who can approach the Lord is really the question of verse 3. Verse 4 gives us the answer. Verse 4 tells us the answer, and the answer is uh, you need to clean up your life. If you want to approach the Lord, you've got to clean up your life. So who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. So who can approach the Lord? Well, the person who's holy. That's the answer in verse 4. The person whose life is holy. And then he gives us some specifics. Uh, it's the person's life who is, who is pure. It's a life that is pure inside and out. Do you see how he does this with the symbolism? Uh, the hands are the outside part. And the heart's the inside part. And so who can approach the Lord? It's the person who's, who's clean before the Lord, inside and out. There's no outer sin that's obvious to everybody. There's no secret sin that's hidden away on the inside. Uh, it's the person who does not lift up his soul to what is false. Uh, that's idolatry. He's talking there in the Old Covenant about idolatry. You know, they're not sneaking off to worship Baal or Asherah. Uh, they don't lift up their heart. He does not, or she does not lift up uh, his or her heart to, to that which is false. Right? There's no idols. Uh, and so thinking in our terms there's there's nothing else that comes before the lord in that person's life nothing at all uh, not sports not money not food not country not family not work not sex not hobbies nothing is ever more important in that person's life uh, than the Lord. That's what it says in verse 4. And then the third line there, this person does not swear deceitfully. Again, what's he talking about? He's talking about honesty. This person is perfectly honest. He's, he's, his yes is always yes, and his no is always no. Uh, every word that drips from his or her mouth is, is pure and honest and true. That's verse 4. And that's where we run into a problem. Boy, do we run into a problem because we run into a problem because that's not us. We're not like that. We're not holy. We're, we're sinful, right? I know that about myself. You know it about yourself. Jeremiah seventeen nine: the, the heart is deceitful, not pure, deceitful above all things, and desperately sick. Uh, Romans three twenty three: there's no distinction. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans three twenty three, uh, which is to say, nobody's hands are clean. Nobody's heart is pure. Which means, sorry folks, but no one can ascend the hill of the Lord. No one can stand in his holy place. And if Psalm 24 ended there, we'd be done. We'd be done. Verses 1 and 2 introduce the creator king. Verses 3 and 4 say you stand a snowball's chance in Hades of getting anywhere near him. You can't approach him because of, of, because of yourself. But thanks be to God, we're not done. There's 10 verses here, not just four. So let's keep reading. Uh, Verse 5. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. So pay attention to this part. Uh, Verses 5 and 6 tell us how to become like verse 4. All right, that's what's going on here. And I say this because verses 5 and 6 are an Old Testament statement of the New Testament doctrine of justification by faith. That's what we have going on here in, in this middle stanza, verses 3 through 6. Uh, verses 5 and 6 are an Old Testament statement of the New Testament doctrine of justification by faith alone. Verse 6, and here's the thing, this is poetry. This isn't Romans where Paul's laying it out in a very linear and kind of academic sort of fashion. Uh, This is poetry, and so it actually gives us the argument backwards, okay? So verse 6 is the faith, all right? What does it talk about? It talks about the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the Lord, uh, of the God of Jacob. That's faith. That's what it is to to, to seek the Lord, is to put your faith in him. And so the generation that seeks him is those people who, using New Testament terminology, uh, verse 6 is talking about those who put their faith in Jesus Christ. Those who who hear the call and and accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, they put their faith in him. That's who verse 6 is talking about. Because they seek him, they receive a blessing. And it's the blessing of the Lord's righteousness. We call it justification from sin. Uh, And so, and what you get is that in verse 5. Like I say, it's going to work backwards. And so verse 5 talks about the person who will receive a blessing from the Lord, it says. And what's the blessing? It's the second half of the verse. The blessing is righteousness. That that key biblical term. What's the blessing that comes to the person who seeks the face of the Lord? Verse 6. Verse 5, it's righteousness from the God of God of his or her salvation. So verse 6 explains verse 5, and then verse 5 explains verse 4. Uh, what kind of a person has clean hands and a pure heart? It's not some pharisaical rule follower. It's the person whose hands and heart have been washed and purified by the Lord. It's the person who's been justified by faith and faith alone. That's the answer to the question for number 3. Uh, for Verse 3, who can ascend the holy hill? It's the person who puts his or her faith in Jesus Christ. So what does that tell us about getting our hearts ready? Right? How does one get ready to welcome the king? Well, there's three key things there. First, uh, we have to address the seriousness of sin. Right? Again, you don't just waltz carelessly into the presence of such a God. You need clean hands and a pure heart. Because that's the problem with sin. Sin uh, isn't just an inconvenience. Sin separates Sin separates us from the Lord. That's what it did in the Garden of Eden. Remember? Adam and Eve are enjoying enjoying perfect fellowship with their creator. That person we meet in verses 1 and 2. Perfect fellowship with their creator. And then they sin. They rebel against him. And they're cut off. They hide from him. They don't want to be around him anymore. That relationship is broken. And they have to be exiled from his presence. Sent away from the Garden. That's the problem with sin. And so, uh, implication number one here is is do not underestimate sin. Do not underestimate it. It is a grave and serious problem. And if we don't deal with that problem, we cannot approach the Lord. We cannot draw near to him. But he has a solution. He has the solution for us. And that's the second thing this stanza tells us about, you know, how do you get your heart ready? Well, we, we confess our sin and we receive his forgiveness. That gift that he's offering us that's how you welcome the king it's that blessing of verse five the, his, the righteousness of the God of our salvation, or as first John one nine puts it, uh, we confess our sins, and when we confess our sins he 's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us cleanse us from all unrighteousness. there it is there's your clean hands and your pure heart it 's right there in first John one nine it doesn't come from rituals or good works it comes from when we put our faith in him, he himself is the one who cleans our hands and purifies our heart. And then the third thing you get here under this ready our hearts idea, the third thing is that this is also, how is it, how's it, how's it preparing us for worship? It's showing us how good our king is. That's the other thing that goes on in, in verses three through six. Uh, look how good this king really is. You see, human kings take, Human kings, human governments uh, take from their subjects. That's what they do, right? That's why King George had to be given the boot. They take and they take and they take. Meanwhile, King Jesus gives and he gives and he gives. And so what kind of king do you want to serve? You want to serve the kings of the earth who take and take? Or do you want to serve the king of heaven who gives generously to all those who welcome him? So we need to ready our hearts. That's the second thing this psalm tells us. Finally, the third thing that we need to do to welcome the king uh, is that we need to receive his lordship. Receive his lordship. Or to to put it another way, welcoming the king means actually welcoming the king. We actually need to receive him uh, into our lives. And not just once. It is a kind of a a one-time thing where it starts, but it's not just once. It's, it's, It's every day. Every day we welcome him and receive him as as the king over our lives. And I believe that's what the last stanza is is inviting us to do in this august kind of Old Testament language. It invites us to, to welcome, to receive and embrace the lordship of the king. Now, if you look in your Bible, the last stanza, verses 7 through 10... Um, it 's interesting It has kind of a call and response structure to it. Uh, most of, of us would know that the psalms were originally sung. We think they were sung or chanted or you know, different different ideas of how it was done probably varied um, but they were musical right it 's the old testament 's music book. And, and you, sometimes that's more obvious than in other psalms. Some psalms some are more obviously musical than others. This one's one of the more obvious ones, especially verses seven, 7 through 10, because you have this repetition, just like you know, we sang some songs earlier where there was repetition of choruses and so on. You have that going on here in verses 7 through 10. And, and it's actually, it's a, I, think, I believe it's called an, antiphonal, where there's different groups answering each other. And I think what we have here are actually three groups that would have been so picture a big chorus of israelites singing this and some this group would sing and then this group would sing and then this group would sing and then they'd repeat it and so let me show you what i mean uh, the first group is verse 7 and they they sing out lift up your heads o you gates be lifted up o ancient doors that the king of glory may come in and so open up right? so it's it's there, it's kind of it's poetry and so they're singing to the gates of the city and they say open up the king's coming. Open the gates. The king's coming to enter the city. Somebody else calls back. That's the second group of singers. And and I picture it's kind of the guards on the top of the wall, that kind of thing. And the guards call back. They're like, who is this king of glory? What do you mean, open the gates? Who is he? Who is this king of glory that you want us to open the gates and let him in? Who is he? And then a third group answers. It's like representatives, maybe the ambassadors of the king, something like that. And they answer, we'll tell you who he is. He's the Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. That's the king who's coming. And then it repeats. All three groups sing again, and it's virtually the same words. Not exactly, but virtually. Verse 9, lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? (laughs) He's the Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. Open your hearts to the king. That's the message of verses 7 through 10 and that little dialogue that's going on back and forth between those groups. Open your hearts to the king. You see, the gates of the city in this psalm are symbolic. They're symbolic of the people who live inside the city. Right, Because this is one of those psalms. It wasn't used for, for the Davidic kings. The David, the, king, the son David and his sons did not create the world. So the first two verses tell us right off the bat. This isn't one of those psalms where we're singing about David, but we're also kind of singing about God. This is just straight up singing about God. And so God doesn't need them to open the gates, right? The physical gates. He can just come in any way he wants. And so those gates are symbolic. They're symbolic of, it, it's actually called Personification. It's the figure of speech called personification. And so the gates and the doors of the city stand for the gates and the doors of the people's hearts. That's verses 7 through 10. Uh, It reminds us of another passage, doesn't it? It's the same kind of picture. Uh, It's Revelation. Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. Jesus himself says, Behold, I stand at the door. There we are with doors again. He doesn't mean a literal door, does he? He says, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, this door, Uh, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. And so the picture there, the picture here, is that the king is willing to enter. He wants to bring his love and his mercy and his grace into our lives, but we have to open the door. We have to open uh, the door. That's how we experience it from our side. We have to open the door and receive him. And and that's what you've got going on in Psalm 24. Uh, Open the gates of your life. Open the doors of your heart and welcome the king. That, of course, raises a question. We have the same question that the guards on the city wall have. The question is, uh, well, what kind of a king is he? Right? And what is he bringing in? What kind of a king is he? Or, you know, if we're going to welcome him, what, are we, what is he, he going to bring? What is it we're receiving? Put it that way. Well, three things we're receiving when we welcome the king. First, we're receiving his salvation. His salvation. It's the righteousness that's talked about in verses 3 through 6 right? It's, it's forgiveness, it's freedom from sin, it's the promise of eternal life. Uh, that's the, it's the salvation, the righteousness of the God of our salvation, uh, it says. Uh, second, we receive his reign or his governance, we might say, if you want a longer, fancier word. We are receiving his governance over our lives when we receive his lordship. And again, just think about the physical picture that's there in the psalm. Um, Imagine a king, a a human king, coming up to the gates of the city. Uh, If you open the gates of the city, you are basically telling that king, I want you to rule, right? He's not going to come in and set up shop and sell fabric. He wants to come in. He's a king. And so if you open the gates to the king, you're saying, come in and here's the throne. You sit on the throne. And that's what it's saying here, right? If you didn't want that king to rule, you wouldn't open the gates. You'd bar the gates and try to keep him out. And so when we receive the king, when we receive King Jesus into our lives, we are welcoming his reign, his righteous and perfect reign. We're we're saying, Lord, this ain't working with me sitting on the throne. I abdicate. I step down from the throne. I want you to reign. I want you to sit on the throne of my life, Lord. And so that's what we're receiving his reign. That's there in those verses. And then the third thing that's, that's here in these verses is protection. We're receiving his protection. And this is actually the one that this stanza emphasizes the most, actually. You see it there in verses 8 and 10. Uh, you know, the question goes Who is this king of glory? It's the Lord. The Lord is the king of glory. What is he like? He's strong, he's mighty. He's powerful, right? It says he's mighty in battle. It repeats the word mighty and makes it in a warrior context. So he's strong, he's mighty, he's mighty in battle, and he leads a great army. That's what you have in, uh, I guess it's verse 10 there, the, the Lord of hosts. He's, he's talking about the, the armies of heaven that he leads. Uh, hosts is, is a word for armies. And so he's presented as a strong and powerful king, right? No weak king. He's a strong king. Uh, Which is to say, what's the promise for the people of Israel and and now for us? The promise is he's got you. Uh, Your king is not a tyrant. He's not threatening you like the world's kings do. Your king is here to protect you. He doesn't want to hurt you. He wants to help you. And and so that's also part of what we're welcoming when we welcome the king. You see it there in verses 7 through 10. We're welcoming the king's protection. Some scholars uh, like to make a connection between Psalm 24 and something that happened in the New Testament. They like to connect this psalm to the the triumphal entry. You might remember the story. We looked at it a couple of months ago when we celebrated Easter the triumphal entries when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. We call it Palm Sunday a lot of times. And and here's the connection. Uh, Some scholars think that, and there's actually pretty good evidence for this, that Psalm 24 was used in the temple in the first century as a regular part of the liturgy or the the order of worship. And they would actually recite Psalm 24. There's pretty good evidence. They would recite Psalm 24 once a week on the first day of the week, which is of course, from our standard, that's Sunday. And so it was, there, it was in the temple. One of the psalms they would use for kind of bringing people to worship was Psalm 24, the one we've looked at this morning. Which means, and we can't say for sure whether this happened because the Gospels don't say it specifically, but, but if those, that connection is right, it means that when Jesus was riding down the hill, Jesus is riding down the Mount of Olives on a donkey presenting himself as the king of glory as he's doing that they may well have been in the temple reciting or singing these words right they could inside lift up your heads oh you gates here comes the king of glory open the doors that the king of glory may come in meanwhile jesus is riding down a mountain on his way to the temple well like i said i can't tell you for sure that it happened that way it's just a connection some like to make but here's what we can say for sure about that day the king of glory came to his people and most of them rejected him. That was the the sad outcome of Psalm 24. The king came to his people and most of them refused to welcome him. And there's a challenge there. There's a challenge there in that for you and for, for me. And the challenge for us is what we've been talking about for the last half hour, welcome the king welcome the king. Do not be like the people on that day who rejected Jesus when he came to them. Unlock the gates of your life, open the doors of your heart, and welcome King Jesus. Not just once, but every day of your life. We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper now as part of our service. And and, uh, before we do that, I want to say two things Uh, and really kind of talk to two people, two groups of people. The first is that if you've never done that, If you've never welcomed King Jesus into your life, today's a great day to do that. Right? Make declare your independence uh, from from sin (laughs) and your dependence on the Lord by inviting Christ into your life. Say, how do I do that? Do I have to, you know, does Don have to wave his hands or say some magic words? No way, it doesn't work that way. Uh, You don't need me at all. All you do is all you need is Jesus. So you confess your sin to him, ask for his forgiveness, receive that freedom, that forgiveness submit to his lordship and then rest in his protection right where does that peace come from it's that part right there your king is strong and mighty mighty in battle so today's a great day to do that and i would encourage you to do that if you never have Uh, the other thing i want to say is to those of you who have all of you who have given your life to Jesus Christ, you're not perfect. Of course you're not, but you've given your life to him. Uh, to you, I will simply remind you of that question from verse 3 Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who shall come into his presence? The answer is you. You can. You can come into his presence. You've trusted in Jesus, and so you are righteous in God's eyes because of Jesus. Your hands are clean, and your heart is pure. And that's what communion is about. As we come now to the the bread and the cup and we eat them together, uh, Jesus took our sin upon himself, right? That's what the bread and the cup uh, remind us of. He took our sin. He paid that penalty in his own body and the outpouring of his own blood. And in exchange, in its place, uh, when we put our faith in him, he gives us instead his righteousness gives us his his righteousness, that righteousness of the God of our salvation. And so to you, Jesus has come to the table. And we don't have a physical table, but it's, it's a, a symbolic table. Come to the table. Your hands are clean, your heart is pure. Not because of you, but because of him. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, I just want to pray for anybody here today, and or, or who might catch this video now or later. And I don't know if there's anyone, Lord, but um, if there is anyone who's Who's never crossed that line? Who's never opened the door of his or her heart? Uh, that you would please uh, move in that person's heart to do so. You draw them, uh, draw him or her to yourself, Lord. And uh, just it's it's your work, and so we pray you would do it for for your name's sake and for the, your mercy and compassion on those folks. And Lord, for those of us who have opened the door, we confess our sin to you, Lord. We uh, we are but dust. Your, your word reminds us that you remember that, and I'm so grateful you do. Uh, we do just uh, confess to you that we have fallen, uh, even in our, our saved state. Uh, we have gone back to things we ought not to have gone back to. We've, we've done things we ought not to have done, and we failed to do things we ought to have done. Uh, would you please forgive us of that, Lord, and help us to, uh, to really understand how transformative this is, that it's not just a paper transaction, but that it's true that you clean our hands and purify our hearts and to help us to receive that blessing and to walk in the joy and the freedom that comes with it. Thank you, Lord. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.